Hello, and welcome to Stonebridge Community Church's online service. I am Pastor John, and this week we are continuing our sermon series entitled Cultivate, where we're looking at the letter to the Philippians, and we're seeing how God cultivates churches and how God cultivates Christians within churches so that we can see God's work in our lives. I'm glad that you are tuning in here through our online service or through our podcast service, but if you're living in the area of Simi Valley, I want to encourage you to come and worship with us in person. We have a Saturday evening service at 5.30 and a Sunday morning service at 10.30. The Saturday service is outdoors. The Sunday service is indoors. And it is good to be together as the people of God in person. And it's good for me as a preacher to be able to connect with you, to, to see you, to know who you are. So I invite you to come and join with us in person in our worship services. But if you're not ready or if you're out of town, I'm glad that you're tuning in through our online service or through our podcast service. In this service, we will have some announcements, and then there will be the reading of the scripture, and then the word will be preached, and then there's two songs to help guide you in worship. So thank you for worshiping with us. I hope that through this podcast, you can experience our Lord Jesus, that the Holy Spirit will grip you, and you'll understand the work of God the Father in your life better. And now, here are some church announcements so you can know what's happening at Stonebridge Community Church. Welcome to Stonebridge. Here are some announcements and things to know. This past week, we continued our special five-week podcast series called Stonebridge Parents. Children and Family Ministries Director Stephanie Leedy sat down with Pastor Jonathan and talked about reflections of biblical parenting. This coming Tuesday, Ms. Stephanie will sit down with friend and member of the Stonebridge community, Ashley Shalanis, and talk about raising children with special needs. You won't want to miss it. Look for these special episodes within the Stonebridge podcast. Starting Tuesday, August 3rd, we're launching a new podcast series called Stonebridge Essentials. This five-week podcast will focus on what is considered to be the center of the Christian faith, the Trinity. To supplement our understanding and to facilitate community, we will have discussion groups available as well. Sign up for one of these groups by emailing info at stonebridgecme.com. Stonebridge has a job opening for a youth and family ministries director. If you or someone you know would be interested in this position, please contact the church office. And lastly, we would love to know that you're participating in worship. Continue to share your news, prayers, and praises by emailing prayers at stonebridgecme.com. Or if you are following along in the Bible app, please take the time to fill out the e-connection card. You are an important part of Stonebridge's community of faith. Once again, welcome to worship. This week, we continue our sermon series entitled Cultivate. As we looked at Paul's letter to the Philippians, and we're coming up to a close on this sermon series. We'll be preaching in from Philippians this week and next week. And then that will mark the end of our sermon series, Cultivate. We've been looking at the letter to the Philippians to try to see how God cultivates the church in Philippi. To also see how God cultivates us. And how God is working to make us at Stonebridge the kind of congregation that is modeled off of the church in Philippi. So today we come to Philippians chapter 4. It's the final chapter in this book. And Paul, closing his letter to the Philippians, he writes, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again I will say rejoice. 
Let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Do not worry about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God, and please join with me in prayer. Lord, speak to us now. Through your scriptures, Lord, illuminate them through the power of your Holy Spirit so that we can understand how you are at work in our lives, in our lives individually and in our life as a community together, Lord. Help us to see you at work clearly. Help us to know you better through these words that we are reflecting on and that are being preached today. So speak to us now, Lord, we ask. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. In Paul's letters, you can always tell when you're getting to the end. Not just because you're looking at the chapter and the verse, which is a clear indication of where you are in the letter. But you can also tell, even if we took the chapters and the verses away, and you didn't know when the ending exactly would be coming, you'd be able to tell because Paul starts doing a lot of imperatives, a lot of exhortations. He starts doing a lot of do this, do that, don't do this, don't do that. That becomes the emphasis of Paul's letters when he's beginning to wrap them up. The other thing Paul does at the end of his letters is he gets really practical. He starts talking more about day-to-day life. He starts talking about specific people that he knows in that church. So we know that we're coming to the end of the letter here. The other thing Paul does as well is he starts taking his big themes and he starts kind of summarizing those and connecting those to daily life. And here in Philippians 4, 4 through 7, Paul, he takes one very big idea, one very big theme, and he begins connecting it to daily life. The idea that Paul takes here is the peace of God. And the last line there in verse 7, Paul says, The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The peace of God is what Paul essentially promises here. Now that term peace, that word peace, it is one that gets used so often that it loses its meaning. You always have to provide another definition. There's a number of words that this happens to, and peace is one of them. It can mean any number of different things. There's the hippie definition of peace. When you throw up your two fingers and you just say peace, it means I hope things go well for you. I hope things are fine. I hope you have a lack of conflict in your life. The common greeting of peace means I hope you're doing just fine. Oftentimes, though, peace also means something more like the lack of any sort of violence, the lack of any sort of conflict. We want world peace, which means we want people to stop fighting one another. There's another definition, too. This is a little more ancient, but one of, my quote, one of the quotes that I find fascinating relates to the Roman Empire. And back in the time of the Roman Empire, it was said that the Romans would create a wasteland and call it peace. 
the Romans would show up to different towns, different countries, and absolutely destroy those towns and those cities and those nations and those countries, would create a wasteland out of them. And because now that there was no opposition to Rome, they would call it peace. Oftentimes, our definitions of peace have more to do with what isn't there than what is there. I mean, the hippie definition of peace, you want somebody to have a life free of any sort of trials. And the idea of world peace, we want a life free, uh, a world free, really, of any sort of violence or fighting. And, And Rome defined peace as a lack of any sort of opposition. Oftentimes, our ideas of peace have more to do with what isn't there than what is there. The Bible's different, though. In the Bible, peace doesn't point to the absence of something. But instead, it points to the presence of something. The biblical terms for peace, there's one Greek word, one Hebrew word, uh, and, and especially the Hebrew word, they point to the idea of wholeness and completeness. When the Bible is talking about peace, it's not just talking about the absence of something, but it's talking about the presence of something. Namely, it's the presence of God or of God's kingdom. The biblical idea of peace, it points to things working properly, to the world functioning in the way it was intended to. I usually don't turn to encyclopedias too often, but I actually looked up biblical peace in the encyclopedia and found a definition or a description of biblical peace that was pretty helpful, I thought. The encyclopedia said that a cosmic, that that, that peace is, biblical peace is a cosmic order ordained by God through creation and established with God's people in the covenant. Remember, the covenant is when Moses met God on Mount Sinai and they struck an agreement, entered into a covenant relationship on behalf of all of Israel. And the covenant is what Paul tells us we are all now part of when we are found in Christ Jesus. That when we are found in Christ, we are part of the covenant. And the covenant, it's it's central to the idea of biblical peace. This definition goes on to say, in this cosmic order, Each part finds its meaning and function as it conforms to God's purpose. The biblical words for peace, they describe the realm where chaos is not allowed to enter. Chaos being understood as sickness, war, social strife, or the violation of the covenant. Now in this definition, we do have the absence of something, the absence of chaos as defined there. But more than that, we have the presence of God's order. We have the presence of the covenant. We have the presence of a relationship between God and God's people. And that is the core idea of peace in the Bible. According to the Bible, when there is peace, it means that there is right relationship between God and God's people. It means that God is there on the throne and that God's people acknowledge God on the throne. And that all that makes this world broken has been fixed. It's not just that all the broken things are gone. It's that they are now fixed and everything is functioning properly. So if you are looking for your meaning 
In the biblical idea of peace, you know what your meaning in life is. If you're looking for your purpose in life, in the biblical idea of peace, you have discovered your idea of purpose. When the Bible talks about peace, most of the time it is pushing us to a future reality. It's pushing us to what the world will look like when Jesus returns. It's pushing us down into the future. And sometimes God's peace can feel distant from our lives. We live lives that don't have a deep sense of meaning. We live lives that our purpose is lost from us. We live lives where we don't really know what our function is, how we're supposed to behave. God's peace can feel fairly distant from us. But here in Philippians 4, Paul talks about God's peace in a more immediate way. It's not just pushing us to the end of time when Jesus will return. It's not pushing us into the future, but God is saying, uh, sorry, Paul is saying that God's peace, it will affect us now. It will guard our hearts and minds now as we go through life. It's almost like there's two different levels of God's peace. There's the level of God's peace that will be found when Jesus returns, but then there's also a glimpse of that peace now, a reflection of that peace that can be inside of us, that we can tap into here and now as we are. We may not get entire relief from everything in life that could disrupt God's peace. The chaos that God's peace pushes out It's still a part of our world today, sadly. So we can't get complete relief until Jesus returns, but according to Paul, we can have God's peace protecting our hearts and our minds. I remember I said when Paul begins to close his letters, he starts talking more about do this and do that. Now at one level, God's peace, the the full totality of God's peace, it is in the future. We have to wait for it and it's in God's control, not ours. God is the one who establishes that peace. Jesus will come here and establish that peace. We don't actually establish it ourselves. But what Paul does hint at and implies is that we can tap into that peace now through some things that we can do, through some responses. And Paul doesn't just leave us hanging there. He gives us clear commandments, clear instructions as to how we can grasp God's peace and how we can make it so that God's peace begins to take hold of our hearts and our minds and protect them. Paul gives three instructions here in this passage. Building up to that idea of God's peace, there's three imperatives that Paul gives. Three, do this and don't do that. These three things that Paul says, first, Paul tells us, rejoice. Second, Paul tells us to let our gentleness be known. And third, Paul tells us, don't worry. These are three commands, three instructions, three imperatives. That if we follow them, I believe the peace of God begins to dwell inside of us. And we can have some freedom, maybe not from all of the chaos that can come into our lives, but freedom from the effects of that inside of us, from the ways that the chaos outside in the world can tear us down internally, God's peace can still protect us now. 
So first, Paul tells us to rejoice. And each of these commands, I think that they, they, they are rooted in deep truths of God. And the more we embrace those truths, the easier it is for us to understand who God is and to have God's peace take hold of our hearts and minds. Paul says, rejoice. Now, we think oftentimes of joy or rejoicing as something we don't have any control over. But Paul, throughout the letter in Philippians, he has told them over and over again to rejoice. It means rejoicing is a response we can achieve. We don't have to just sit around and wait for joy to strike us or to hit us across the face. We can rejoice ourselves. We can celebrate. We can set aside time to rejoice. This is why things like holidays are so important, I think, and why we have Christian holidays that we make sure to celebrate so that we have structured times of rejoicing. The more that we rejoice, the more we acknowledge that God has achieved whatever victory needs to be achieved. The more we rejoice, the more we can celebrate all that God has done. Though chaos may be creeping into our lives, rejoicing in all that God has done, it reminds us that God is alive. And sometimes we may not feel the joy, but we still set aside time to rejoice, to acknowledge all that God has done in our lives and to celebrate that, to acknowledge all that God has done in the world and to celebrate that. And over time, the more we practice rejoicing, I think the deeper the joy of God becomes inside of us, and the more the peace of God guards our hearts and our minds. So one thing we can do is set aside time to rejoice, to make sure that we force ourselves when we have to, to rejoice. The second thing Paul says is, let your gentleness be known. I think we overlook the Bible's emphasis on gentleness, particularly the New Testament's emphasis on gentleness. We instead focus on how we can fight things out, how we can fight the culture, how we can fight people who disagree with us. Listening to a lot of Christian leaders, you'd think Christianity was just about fighting. And if Christianity is just about fighting, if following Jesus is just about fighting people we disagree with or fighting against the culture, well, then gentleness isn't something you would value all that much. You don't win many fights with gentleness. But again, one of the truths that these instructions Paul gives us points to is God has already accomplished the victory. Whatever it is that we're fighting against, God has already accomplished that victory. And we need to be reminded of that over and over and over again. When we acknowledge that God has accomplished the victory, we realize gentleness is something for us to embrace because it is by our gentleness that we point to the character of Jesus, the character of God as revealed in Jesus. Jesus says things like, blessed are the meek, blessed are the humble. Gentleness is critical for the Christian life. Our primary call, it's actually not to go out and to fight everyone and fight everything. But as Paul tells us, let your gentleness be known. 
This is what we're supposed to be known by. This is what we're supposed to be defined by. Christians are supposed to be defined by how gentle they are. I don't think that's how we're known today, though. This is one of those lost instructions from Paul. But the more we display our gentleness, the more we embrace our own weaknesses, the more we point to God's strength and to God's victory that has already been accomplished on the cross in Jesus and in the resurrection. But if we're always trying to be strong and we're always trying to fight and we're hiding our gentleness, makes it harder for us to point to God's victory. Instead, we're just focusing on the victories we're trying to achieve. So Paul tells us, let your gentleness be known. And when our gentleness is known, when we set aside the idea that we're here to fight, God's peace grabs a hold of our hearts and our minds. We make room for God to grab a hold of our hearts and our minds with God's peace. So let your gentleness be known. And then Paul says, his third instruction here, don't worry. I'm prone to worrying. I am a worrier. It's just something that I do. I start seeing how things could go wrong and start trying to plan and anticipate so that they won't. I am a worrier. So Paul's instructions here kind of bites me a little bit. But the more that we worry, again, the less we display to the world our confidence in God's victory. God has accomplished whatever victory needs to be accomplished. And it's in that truth that we find God's peace. Because it's in that truth that we can look forward to the day when Jesus returns and when all the world is set back to right. When everything is fixed. God's victory is central to that idea. But the more that we worry, the less we display our trust in God's victory. So, I think Paul, he knows that we're going to worry. Paul knows that... It's easy for us to worry. So he actually gives us some very practical instructions here. Through prayer, through petition, through thanksgiving. The more we practice prayer, the more we bring our requests to God, the more we thank God for the responses that we see from God, the easier it is for us to avoid worry. The more that we pray, the more our worries cease. Prayer is a practice. Prayer is our response to God. And it's something that we can get better at. We can do more of. And the more that we pray, the more we go to God in prayer, the deeper the peace of God grabs hold of us. So these three instructions Paul gives. He says, rejoice, let your gentleness be known, and don't worry. In the middle of these instructions, Paul has one line that I think is so helpful. Paul says in the middle of this, the Lord is near. If you read Philippians 4, 4 through 7, he says, let your gentleness be known. And then he says, the Lord is near. It's almost like we have to be reminded that Jesus is near. Jesus is by us. And that Jesus' return isn't that far off that the Lord is near. Because it is through Jesus' power that we're able to accomplish the three tasks Paul gives us here of rejoicing, let your gentleness be known, and don't worry. It's through Jesus' presence that we're able to accomplish that. And Paul just gives us that reminder 
that Jesus is near, the Lord is near, the peace of God, it will grab hold of your hearts, it will grab hold of your minds, and it will protect them. The Lord is near. Ultimately, it's through that trust in Jesus' presence that our belief that God has accomplished the victory, that it takes over our life. And that's how the peace of God can grab hold of us here and now. So I encourage you, take these three instructions, the rejoicing, letting your gentleness be known, prayer, and, and not worrying. Take those three instructions and figure out how can you practice that best. And all the while, recognize Jesus is near. As you try to figure out how this fits into your life, how you can respond to God's work, the Lord is near. Take comfort in that. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. safe within your name this we know this we know you promise never to forsake but you began you will sustain this we know this we know Say hey.
Oh, 
Friends, the Lord is near, both in proximity to you. Jesus walks by you. Jesus supports you through the Holy Spirit. And the Lord is also near in that we know that Jesus will return. We have faith in that. And we know that God has accomplished the victory. So may you go rejoicing. May you go letting your gentleness be known. And may you go casting your worries aside and lifting your concerns up to God in prayer. May you go in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, and the love of the Father. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, go in God's peace, friends. And may God's peace grip your hearts and your minds. Amen.